0: Welcome to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with innovators who are committed to measuring what matters in Christ-centered relief and development and advocacy. My name is Rodney Green, Senior Manager of Monitoring and Evaluation at Compassion International and one of the hosts of this podcast. Before we jump in, just a quick announcement to say that the ARA Intensive, which is an in-person workshop, is open for registration. It's going to be in October at Ridgecrest in North Carolina. Please see the show notes for registration information. Today, I share with you a recent conversation I had with Nathan Maloney and Rhett Bailey from Living Water International about some research they led as part of the organization's recent strategy design process. One name you'll recognize, Nathan Maloney is a co-host of this podcast and has been interviewed before such as in episode 33, when he talked about Living Water's theory of change. This is Rhett Bailey's first time on the podcast. Living Water International is a Christian NGO working in 17 countries to address issues around water access, sanitation, and hygiene. Welcome, Nathan and Rhett, to the podcast. Hey, Rodney, great to be here. My first question is for Rhett. Uh, since this is your first podcast, tell us more about yourself and how you came to Living Water.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks, Rodney, for having us today. Uh, Nathan's told me lots about the Accord Research Alliance and this podcast. So happy to be here for this conversation. Um, yeah, I'm coming up on four years at Living Water. Uh, my current role is director of customer insights and experience on a newly formed strategy and innovation team at Living Water. Uh, This is really my first experience in the international development and relief sector. Uh, Before this, I was spent several seasons in sports and entertainment, working for an NBA team and their strategy and analytics team. So kind of come full circle now. And uh, we were basically an internal consulting group to run research analysis and and learn across our business from sponsorships, new ventures, fan experience, pricing analysis, and and anything else. Um, My academic background is more in an analytical uh, realm, less really about data science. You know, to give respect to true data scientists out there, it's not data science at all, but more towards market research and statistics. Um, so I've loved being able to apply that across you know different types of industries, both for profit and now in the NGO space. Um, and you know, at Living Water, Nathan and I, and I guess you know, similar to you, Rodney, uh, we work in similar type roles, and we often just say facing different directions of the organization. And so similar to monitoring, evaluation, learning, and design work, um, I'm doing that all um, as well, but just focused on the supporter side of our organization and not um, with our programs. Thanks, Rhett. And what NBA
0: team did you work for? Uh, The local team here in Houston, the Houston Rockets. Okay. All right. Oh Well, I just wanted to catch that detail. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Uh, Nathan, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the research and testing you did related to strategy. Uh, But first, could you give us a little bit more background about the strategy design process at Living Water and what kind of
2: process that was? Uh, Thanks, Rodney. So last year, we developed a new strategy for the organization. um, And this was our third time doing this as an organization, but my first time getting to participate in it. And I was asked uh, pretty early on if I could help co-lead the the design process. So early on, uh, we started to you know think about you know what kind of an approach uh, do we want to take. There's lots of books on this or different methodologies. Um, so we were kind of thinking about what process we would want, and uh, we knew a couple things. First, is we wanted to continue to build on our previous approaches. The first two times we developed strategy was a very collaborative process that. Involved a lot of our global staff. And so we love that and wanted that to continue to be part of, of how we designed and developed strategy. At the same time, we also wanted to make a few uh, modifications or adaptations to that process. And so, you know, one of the reasons that was driving us to do that was we knew that we needed to make some clear choices around what I would call our business model. So just kind of some foundational uh, decisions about the organization. And so after looking at a few options, we came across one called Playing to Win. Um, so this book, Playing to Win, it was written by the CEO of Procter & Gamble and then this consultant called Roger Martin, who did a lot of strategy work together and, and were successful. And then they've turned that into to content that I know like the Harvard Business Review developed some resources around and now IDEO um, is doing quite a bit with it for designing strategy. And so we love this because it was building on something that we'd started to ad- adapt and adopt as an organization, you know, this principle of design thinking or human-centered design. Um, we, there's a group of us that were really starting to use this for a lot of our um, uh, challenges that we were facing, you know, design challenges or strategic challenges. Um, so we thought, hey, why not try this for the strategy overall? Um, and so that's what we did. And um, the thing we love about it is uh, that it placed a real big emphasis on developing strategy, not just using analytical rigor, although that's really important, but also using creativity and discernment. And so, so we did that. One result of that is that it, it changed the way we thought about doing research during the process. And so I know we'll t- talk more about that, what the details of that look like, but usually in a strategy process, or at least what I've seen is you do a lot of research at the beginning. And so there might be a team that goes out or a consultant that's that's doing a lot of research. You get a thick report and then executives read through that report and then make some decisions and do some planning um, based off of that. But we knew with a design thinking approach, we needed to be more iterative in our research. And so that there would be ideas emerging through the process that we would wanna go find out more about after those after we got those ideas from um, this collective brainstorm that we would do. So, so it was a more iterative research process uh, overall. Uh, so what that meant is, and then maybe I'll just quickly run through the steps of our process here, um, just so we have a good background. But, but we started with research, but it was pretty quick and pretty light uh, research, just a, a basic landscape analysis. Uh, to get a sense of of some different trends that were happening. And then based on that research, we worked with our strategy task force to frame up a clear challenge, a strategic challenge that then provided some framing for a global brainstorm. And so all of our staff globally, uh, we have about 300 global staff, were able to participate and share ideas for this challenge. From that, we took uh, the ideas and developed five prototypes of a strategy, which is kind of interesting to think about. We usually think about prototypes or products or different things like that. But we actually said, here's a prototype of an organizational organization strategy. And so we had five of those and they framed up some really unique choices that we can make as an organization. And then we took that to our board. Um, So our board of directors got really engaged and um, helped us look at these five prototypes and instead of asking, hey, what do you like? Which one do you think we should do? What we did is in a workshop, asked the board members plus our executive team to th- answer this question. For this to be a great strategy, what would have to be true? And so what this did is it, it flipped it kind of to the positive to where we could get a list of what we call barriers that we would say this would be a barrier or a potential barrier to this being a good strategy taking that list of barriers, we could then figure out which one of those do we want to test to get more evidence about, to understand if that's something we should be concerned about or not. And so we framed up some hypotheses um, that we wanted to go test. Um, So we had a testing phase about, I think it was about two months total, um, where we did rapid testing and experimentation around those barriers and hypotheses, which then led us to decision-making. So taking all that information, I think our, our leadership had a little bit more confidence in making some decisions um, about the direction for the organization. Um, so once decisions got made, then of course we went into the natural planning cycles and, and um, all of that. So anyway, sorry, that was long, but hopefully that kind of lays out how research fit into the overall strategy design process.
0: Thanks so much, Nathan, for unpacking that for us. I think it's really interesting how usually when someone uses the word research in a kind of normal context, the images we get are of data collectors out in a community, you know, collecting data from you know some sort of community stakeholder group, um, and that is not the image you're painting for us here. You're you're talking about research in a in a different way. Um, with a process that's that's really interesting and innovative. Um, so let's go a little bit deeper into that. So, my next question here is for Rhett. Um, did you have a clear plan for the type of research you wanted to conduct? How did you go about thinking about testing and research in this
1: kind of scenario? Yeah. Um, and how how Nathan, are you kind of outline that entire process and with it inevitably being iterative, there's a semi-structured plan sometimes, um, but then we knew that we were going to have to leave room for flexibility to shift and pivot um, based off of learning and lean in to some things, and then maybe take a different direction if if something piqued our curiosity. So, you know, we had like three milestones of uh, you know, quote unquote research throughout this um, this entire year-long process. Um, like Nathan mentioned, we started out with the landscape analysis and and the goal of that was really to just set the context for the current environment, both coming like out of, and then still in the midst of the COVID pandemic, like what was going on there and, and how do we respond to that? Um, but also to just focus on, on secondary research more than primary research there, um, really get, um, some analysis outside of our walls and outside of or our screens, I guess, at that time, um, outside of our screens from Living Water um, and learn from people. Um, and that was to really be an input for our our global team to work on a, a, an initial brainstorm of ideas that we did internally. Um, and then the second analysis and milestone was around an evaluation. So it was kind of a look back on the previous five years. So as Nathan mentioned, this is our third kind of cycle of strategy design and, and planning at Living Water. And so we looked back at the past five years, the objectives we set, what we learned and accomplished, um, and then we did this through through more formal um, interview processes and and a round of interviews with our our leadership um, in the organization. And then the the last one was really the one where I think we got to lean in the most into the design thinking, human centered design approach. Um, and this was what we called you know, the testing phase. So I'll spend maybe a little bit more time talking about this is this is a round of experimentation um, to learn about some of these assumptions that we had about our potential strategies that were in front of us. And that had kind of emerged from that workshop Nathan mentioned. So we took those, those potential barriers of our strategy prototypes and then reformed them into hypotheses. And then those are hypotheses that we could be tested. And really having that mindset already that almost like elementary kind of scientific method mindset was kind of helpful for everybody to say, well, this is something that has to be tested. It's not just an opinion or it's just not a belief. It's something that we have to go out and learn from. And we, we did that through, you know, a variety of different learning methods. Um, and, you know, one of the things as we approached this was, was this seems like a pretty large and new effort at the organization. So how did we want to logistically and operationally attack this, you know, Nathan and I knew very early on in the process As we did one thing, you know, as there were unknowns, we did know we wanted to get a lot of people involved. Um, and so that was both internal and externally that in this phase, uh, because we really wanted to be inclusive as many perspectives as possible. So in that, you know, roughly 60 day timeframe and, and that constraint, um, we ended up mobilizing over 40 colleagues across all of the different countries we work in and, um, you know, something we're proud about and we think about is this, this infographic we had at the end was like, wow, this was a lot of effort from a lot of people is, you know, we, we were able to do over hundred, uh, customer interviews. We were able to survey over a thousand people. We conducted 14 focus groups with over hundred participants, um, attended several conferences, both, you know, in-person and virtual during 2021, um, and then reviewed still, we still leaned into some of the secondary research, knowing that that we had to bring in some other perspectives that we couldn't gather just in that time constraint. And so we looked over at hundred over 120 sources of secondary research as well. So we were really proud to see engagement and then passion for learning. So some of those mindsets from, from design thinking and human-centered design just continue to grow within the organization. You know, we also knew we wanted to learn as much as possible, but there was different ways of kind of choosing that. So we were faced, you know, as, as co-leads of this specific phase of the process, we were trying to think, do we go wide and maybe not super deep across lots of different hypotheses since there, there are varying forms um, and varying different degrees of, 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 difficulty to gather information, or do we want to narrow that to like a handful of hypotheses and go as deep as possible uh, with our learning. So at first we had like a list of 50 hypotheses, I think, that came out of our our first or our second workshop there that, that Nathan was mentioning. And so we cut that list in about half and narrowed it down to somewhere around 25 to 30. And the way we did that is we just focused, we, we kind of gave some criteria of what is the most important um, type of hypothesis that we want to test to gain confidence about the choices we put in front of us. And then where did we see the highest level of uncertainty within the organization, things we were uh, that were unknown? Um, and so, you know, last thing I'll mention, I guess, in this phase is that, you know, there were lots of unknowns. One thing that was kind of throughout, in addition to the inclusivity piece, was was empathy. And that's one of those human-centered design mindsets. You know, we knew we wanted to hear directly from people so that we could understand wants, desires and, and pains and everything else. Um, And so empathy for people was kind of the North star. And, and we tended to focus more on qualitative methods than quantitative methods because of that. Um, So we never wanted to exclude someone, even outliers in in certain, certain um, settings, because we knew that ultimately, this was probably going to give us more inspiration to push ourselves to present information to leadership to push ourselves to be bolder in our strategy and the choices we were going to make. Thanks, Red. That makes a lot of sense,
0: uh, having empathy be a kind of key value um, in approaching how you conduct research or how you test certain hypotheses. It also makes a lot of sense that qualitative methods seem to really meet a lot of the needs you had for this part of the process, too. Um, making sure that people were listened to, that people had the opportunity to share the fullness of what they had to, to provide. Um, Like you said, sometimes quantitative methods can miss some of that or, or um, limit the ability to kind of go down those rabbit holes of what people are processing, even as they're sharing um, their perspective. So that's, that's really helpful. And it sounds like you were doing a lot during the period as well, 60-day time constraint, um, a lot of people doing a lot of research in a short amount of time. How did you stay organized? Most importantly, how did you analyze all that research? Can you tell us a little bit more about
2: that side of things? Yeah, I'm happy to to jump in um, because you're right, Rodney. It was was, uh, a lot of work in a short amount of time. Uh, Thankfully, we had... Um, a good number of people, like Rhett was talking about, that were really energized by this and, and very willing to jump in and to uh, to do the work. So, wouldn't have happened without that. Um, but it did take some organization to uh, to make sure everyone could run quickly and and, and really stay um, in line with kind of what we we're hoping to achieve, and that we could have a good analysis on the back end um, of it without too much work or just one or two of us having to dig through all the data and, and all of that. So we, we did try to stay organized uh, from the very beginning. And so just a couple, I'll throw out some details of it in case it's helpful to anyone. But, you know, the first thing we did is just in Excel, very simple, work to build out a tracker for each hypothesis. So those 25 hypotheses that, that Rhett was talking about that we decided to test we first had to list that out and then we had to think about what would be some actual different tests um, or research methods that we could use uh, to get evidence on it. And so, so just to give you a little bit of details on that, you know, we were looking at things like um, expert interviews, customer interviews, online surveys, literature reviews. Um, We even had a role playing option on there. I don't think we ever did that, but um, you know, just kind of do some, scenario planning, you know, it could be some internal role-playing. So we had a lot of ideas uh, for how to test it. The other thing to note is that each test could be testing multiple hypotheses. Uh, so we kind of had a many-to-many relationship between hypotheses and, and tests. So first of all, it was just getting organized about around um, which hypotheses will we be testing um, in, in which way. And then uh, it, you know, bringing in the support. So we had 40 total people that were conducting research in some way, um, but we also had 10 other test leads is what we called them. And so these were um, people that we knew had uh, research skills and and experience who could come in and um, easily lead, you know, whether that's a literature review or or survey um, and build their own team and kind of run with a mini team for that specific test. Um, So I was working with five of the test leads. Rhett was working with the other five. And then what we did is really work to equip them with a standardized uh, template and plan. And so we spent like the first week probably of the 60 days, Rhett and I just trying to figure out what this template would be. You know, it had some basic, you know, the basic project management details around timeline and team members, stuff like that. Um, But the most important part was we wanted really clear Research methodology and an analysis plan, and for that to be defined before we actually did any research. And so, a key part of that was coming up with a clear standard of proof for each hypothesis. And so, you know, figuring out what would give us enough confidence to say that a particular hypothesis is likely true or not. You know, so this took some thinking when you're thinking about literature reviews or expert interviews, like what. You know how you how you think about standard of proof is is gets kind of fascinating when you get to that level of detail and for all these different types of of research we were running. But doing this in advance, I think really helped the entire process flow very smoothly to where the test leads could just be empowered to run with it throughout the process. So and so just kind of interesting interesting note is that internally, we actually got a little bit of pushback or questions on how much time we were spending just developing these plans because we had about, you know, maybe four or five weeks total to actually do the research. And in some cases we were spending two to three weeks defining the methodology and um, coming up with the analysis plan. So you feel like you're not actually making progress, but, um, but I would say this, that process and that structure actually saved us so much time um, in the long run, especially when we got to the analysis phase and it helped things move very smoothly. So so yeah, so speaking of analysis, uh, just to give a sense of that and how we, how we approach that. So we did have these test leads, and essentially each test lead was responsible for writing a short summary of the outcome of the research. Um, and if the standard of proof was met, you know, to say that the hypothesis is, is likely true, or I guess in statistical terms, if we could reject the null hypothesis, but to capture that clearly and then if there's any key insights. So this was a very basic format. Um, at the end of that, Red and I looked at each of those uh, write-ups and then worked to analyze, you know, comparing even across tests. Cause again, some of the hypotheses were being tested and researched in different ways, looking at the results of those and then coming up with really a, a pretty straightforward score um, but trying to think about how likely to be true each hypothesis was. Um, And then that got written up in a report and uh, shared. And so actually, Rhett, I'll make a note here to point out the fact that Rhett was the one who wrote the report because I was out on paternity leave. So Rhett did a lot of the heavy lifting right at the end of the process. Um, So kudos to Rhett for that. But that ultimately is how we uh, did the analysis. Thanks, Nathan. It's it's really interesting.
0: I mean, I not familiar with the process that is, you know, that you've copied from elsewhere. I feel like this makes a lot of sense, how you you took different design principles, maybe some different models, but really made it your own. And so this is this is definitely unique and helpful. And I think it would be helpful to, to go a little bit deeper for a moment as well, and to think about an example. Maybe if I could direct that back to Rhett, do you have an example of a
1: hypothesis that you had tested and what the results were? Yeah, I, uh, let me, I can think through some of that. I mean, I think in general, um, just the process part, just to see how we logistically got to a hypothesis to, you know, we, like Nathan mentioned, you know, we had these barrier statements and these barrier statements for each strategic possibility that then got translated into a hypothesis that we could, you know, if you get real nerdy with the statistics, accept or reject a hypothesis. Um, But we, we looked at it and then we started clustering these hypotheses across different categories. So, like I mentioned earlier, if we wanted to go broad or, or narrow um, we had hypotheses across all different categories in our, our business model. Um, So we looked at our program scope and design marketing and branding, different segmentation and relationships with supporters and partners, and, and really had probably a a healthy mix across all of those different categories and across all the different types of methods we would use within those categories um, to, to learn. And so an example, I think, you know, thinking about this might not be exactly how we worded it, but it was from uh, our program scope. And we said, you know, for this to be a great strategy, there will be a growing need and market for WASH organizations to do more work around environmental protection to ensure safe water access. And so from there, you know, we did all of the logistics that Nathan just walked you through and and test leads in uh, different countries and the regions we work. Went out and interviewed people within our program geographies, had interviews with experts in the climate change conversation, uh, reviewed lots of secondary research sources and published reports. And then they sent us back their, their analysis and their information that's for us to try and combine with a lot of other information coming in about this hypothesis from some other, other forms of, of testing. So we analyzed all that and afterwards we assigned that score. So Nathan mentioned the likelihood to be true scale that we looked at. So that was from not likely to very likely. Um, and if you can imagine and picture, kind of like a bell curve, our expectation was really that there's going to be some things that we, that would be very likely that we had lots of confidence in and a few things that were maybe not likely, but the majority of things would somewhere would be somewhere in the middle of somewhat likely to, to just likely, um, being true. And so I think for this particular one, we found that the evidence and data was likely um, for this to be a true hypothesis um, for this strategy and it should have an impact on our programmatic choices. Um, I think it's important to note too, that when we think about the data that came in here um, we weren't really looking for stuff that was going to be completely definitive. We knew there was a part of this process that was going to be discerning what data came in and what does that mean? Um, And it was also, adding to our collective knowledge, experience, and expertise with our board and our leadership and other people throughout the organization to really paint the full, most clear picture that we could get at this time. And so ultimately, this scoring was was helpful for us to simply just translate lots of information. And like we said, usually qualitative information and some quantitative information into a scale that can measure how confident we were growing for making some of these strategic choices. So. Um, this was really the the goal of this testing phase um, was to grow in our confidence so that we felt like we could really make bets on the choices that we had in front of us for this particular hypothesis, you know, that we're talking about related to the environmental um, components and stewardship of our work, you know, these conversations we had and this scoring across all these different testing methods, it really did give our leadership confidence to make a strategic choice to start Focusing and bringing in environmental stewardship into our strategic direction. So now, um, almost a year later, it's really exciting to see how this is already happening in our work today and making an impact on some of the decisions we're making coming out of that strategic year.
0: Right. So maybe to kind of contrast this whole process a bit, maybe like what Strategic planning processes could have looked like in years past is that you know in a boardroom setting someone might have said like hey I've been hearing from literature I've read or conferences I've gone to that environmental stewardship might be important for us to consider that person is then has really the kind of pressure on them to try and influence the room or influence who is ever you know a part of the process with their opinion that that might be important to consider as a strategic direction and then depending on how influential that person might be or the you know cultural dynamics of that team you know the team could then decide okay this is what i want to do this is what we should do we should we should think about this or we should maybe take steps to to move more in this direction so, I mean, as a contrast, what you're describing is a much more thorough process. And like you said, it, it if I was in, if I would had participated in this process with you all, I feel like it does give confidence to say that this is not just our opinion of one or two people in the organization who might know more about this space. It's actually been a, a thorough process that a lot of people participated in, got a lot of feedback from different. Um, external or internal um, resources to really give that confidence that that this is an important hypothesis. This is an important potential direction for us. Um, likely to be, like you said, that kind of not likely to very likely that this is that this is important. This is true. This is something we need to really pay attention to. So that I find that really helpful and an exciting. Part of this. Uh, did I describe this right? Or am I a little bit off?
1: Yeah, I, I think you did. I mean, um, I think one thing to just note, yeah, it wasn't really to discredit either like somebody's hunch or gut reaction, but it was more to do kind of the, the smell test in the room and the gut check in the room. Like, okay, this, that may be true what somebody has experienced or what they might be thinking you know, especially, you know, specifically related to this one on environmental stewardship, somebody may have brought that up in the room. And like you said, it could be the action taken on that could be based off of influence and actual experience and things. And, and we really wanted to lean in and say, well, let's just go learn as much as we could and have that, that curious mindset. I also think there were definitely things that came out of this. I just want to, you know, admit in, in, in honesty here. And is like, there was several things that we said we didn't know. Like there are lots of things that were like, maybe that's true. It's somewhat likely that it's true, but like Nathan and I tried to assign like a score to that sometimes like with a numbers and oftentimes like those things now are on a, a learning agenda for us. Like we gave ourselves the freedom to say, we don't know actually, even after 60 days on on a handful of these things, we might not know the answers to all of them. Hopefully we knew a lot and we definitely did come out with learning a lot, but some of these things. We created, you know, a new agenda to actually think this is the stuff we need to learn in the future and gave ourselves the freedom to say, like, where are we on the confidence scale? What choices can we make today? But that doesn't hinder us from continuing this in the future and making better choices in the future. So I think that actually just alleviated the burden of in the room for people to feel like they had to make a choice and bet that it was going to be a hundred percent with a hundred percent certainty. Cause as we all know, that's, that's almost impossible to do.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that kind of posture of humility to say, when we don't know something, even with the kind of constraints and the process we've we've been through, you know, we're still not there yet. It's a gap, it's a on the learning agenda. I really appreciate that. Um, so where does Living Water go next with this so when it comes to research, testing ideas? Um, yeah, what's next?
2: Yeah, so that, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, this is it was a great process in the sense of we, we learned some new skills as an organization, um, some of our mindsets that you were just talking about with Rhett, you know, we're, we're starting to change just, a, you know, kind of a creative confidence or a, a, you know, sense of, hey, we can go and learn and test something. We don't have to just sit in a room and try to make the best decision together and then, you know, go from there. We can actually develop hypotheses and go try to learn a little bit, right? So we want to carry that forward. Um, And and I think we have been in many ways. Um, We obviously can't do, you know, this level of research for the organization strategy um, all the time. This is a, you know, this is something that only happens once every few years, but, um, but as Rhett said, you know, we are carrying forward some of these, some of these questions still. Um, And these are very relevant questions that still um, affect our approach to marketing and, in branding or to our program designs. And so it's helped to shape our learning agenda. I think we're continuing to invest in the the capabilities uh, to do this type of work as an organization. Um, In fact, the the final strategy, so we have a we do now have a final strategy document and and that's our um, you know official strategy as an organization. In it, it says of the five core capabilities um, that we want to really invest in as an organization. Um, one of them is knowing our customer deeply, uh, which is all about the research and the insights, and then two is innovating with human-centered design, and which requires this kind of kind of research as well. So, so that's in our strategy that we want to invest in this. So, it would be a couple of areas. Um, just to mention one one more, something that I'm excited about, and then kind of the next thing that I would say, Rhett and I are are partnering on is around establishing. Uh, some more systems and uh, around listening practices. And so this is for listening to our supporters and and funders, which is what Rhett's leading out on. And then um, also listening to our program participants, which is what um, myself and my team um, are leading out on. So we've been inspired by uh, this concept, the approach called the voice of the customer. And Rhett could probably tell us a lot more details about that. Uh, It's more kind of in the marketing world, but But it's something with a lot of of really great ideas that will really help us on on marketing and and talking with our supporters and understanding them better. Um, But I'm excited to figure out what does this mean in the context of of a program model and how we get that kind of feedback and have a system around that and have good practices around um, listening and really elevating the voice of, of, of those we're here to serve. So that's a few of the areas we're looking at.
0: That, that's really helpful. I think with, what it feels like to me hearing all of this is that you all have really blown the top off of how data research processes, listening um, applies across the board. So it's really gone beyond this, you know, listening to supporters or just listening to participants kind of in isolated silos um, or maybe doing like good monitoring and evaluation work, but it's really looking at kind of how data applies throughout um, planning processes, throughout strategic, you know, conversations in the organization, how all of this kind of gets integrated together. It It really... F- It really seems to be, to me, kind of listening in and kind of hearing a bit more what you're all doing is is really expanding the use of data in the organization and integrating things in ways that may have not always been integrated before. Um, It makes a lot of sense. It's inspiring. It's challenging. Um, It's been really helpful to hear about. Um, So what advice would you have for others kind of, you know, listening into this interested in learning more interested in maybe trying something along these lines, what advice would you have?
1: I'll start us off, I guess. Um, Give Nathan a chance to think about that one. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, Nathan mentioned a little bit about the statistical and analytical rigor that it takes to make some of these choices. And I think oftentimes you can get bogged down by that. Um, That can be like almost paralyzing in some ways because you're so focused on that statistical significance and how you're doing things, which I think is important. But I think kind of on the, the soft skills side, I think adopting the right mindsets that we've been talking about, you know, those human centered design mindsets around empathy and creative confidence and being willing to iterate on ideas and that really truly being a part of either your organization or your team's DNA and culture. Um, I think that's super important because, um, if you don't have that, I think you, you lose out on, on opportunities to, to really lean into your curiosity. And so, you know, one of my favorite quotes actually is from, from Ed Catmull, who's the co-founder of Pixar and author of a great book, Creativity Inc., where he talks about how they founded Pixar and in the, the early days of that. And he says, you know, creativity in its purest form is problem solving. And so I really love that. Like, I think if you come in and you have a group of people who are look at themselves as problem solvers, who have creative confidence, who focus on empathy and then lean into their curiosity to learn, you have the opportunity and it's not ever really guaranteed, but you do have the opportunity to design solutions And experiences that make a difference, both you know, in lots of different ways, and kind of like you mentioned, being able to connect different people that you serve that seem like they might be being served in silos, but really can be served together and in one unified way. And I think, yeah,
2: I was just to
1: build on that, Rhett.
2: You know, I, I was just thinking, you know, if I was listening to this podcast even just three years ago, I might kind of be thinking, sounds really cool. I don't think. We could do that in our organization, or I don't know how we would do that. Or that's hard to imagine us, you know, doing something like that. And that's probably how I would have been feeling three years ago, um, listening to something like this, um, even if I like the ideas. So my, I guess my advice, Rodney would just be um, to start small and to take some initial steps in this direction. Cause we didn't start this with our, strategy. I mean, that's a huge, that's a high profile thing in the organization. A lot of leadership are heavily engaged in that. Um, Really important decisions are being made. But we were able to do that because of really a couple years of of starting to learn about again human-centered design or hey, maybe we could test something before before we just adopt it. And realizing that two interviews about a potential solution is better than no interviews about a potential solution. And Framing things as hypotheses, and I think, I think to build the mindsets that Rhett's talking about, which are critical, and I think that's the foundation of this. Um, what I found, at least, is is those mindsets tend to get built when you're actually working on something together um, with other people in your organization. So, um, so I think you know, start small. This approach of of rapid testing and experimentation is for more things than just strategy questions. It could be a small Program design decision you're making, um, or process, you know, software, whatever it might be. Um, there's smaller things you can you can start with. And at the end of the day, I think any any evidence we can gather, anytime we can frame something up as a hypothesis that we want to learn about, and, and can gather evidence on it, um, is going to help us make better decisions um, and have better solutions. So, um, and and just remembering that again, our goal is, you know, we're not going to probably prove anything. Definitively by this type of, of rapid testing and rapid research, but we've seen it to where it, it can increase your confidence and, and make you feel confident in the decisions you're making. So yeah, so start small. Thanks, Nathan. I do find that helpful
0: and something that really anybody could do in the short term, right? To be able to find an area of the organization where decisions need to be made and to think about, Okay, what are some hypotheses that might need some testing here that could inform our decisions and help us be more confident in decisions? And I really appreciate how both of you have talked about the role of discernment in the process. That you know the data doesn't make the decision for us; Uh, it does inform. it does um, help us feel more confident in the sense that we've thought this through, that we've learned from people who know more than us about this. And so I find that helpful to start small, to not forget about the role of discernment and wisdom. So I really appreciate that as well. So I think we're going to close our time together. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, make sure to subscribe if you have not already and email us at ara at accordnetwork.org or connect with us on LinkedIn to send ideas of who you'd like to talk to next or any other suggestions you have. Um, until next time, thanks for tuning in. And thanks, uh, Nathan and Rhett, for sharing with us today.
2: Thanks, Rodney. Enjoyed it. I appreciate it. All right. Have a
0: great day, everyone.